Thank you, Jesus. What a wonderful morning. What a powerful time of worship and praise. So blessed by the team. It's a, we've got a few folks that are normally a part of our worship and the audio and projector and everything, and they're uh, in Poland ministering to, well, just whoever they can find an open door to minister to, but specifically our target group there is the Ukrainian refugees who have fled Ukraine into neighboring countries, and Poland was one of those who, there's some churches there close to the border where Jared and Charlene Rise Nations were able to make a connection and um, be able to just lay groundwork to bring a team in there and just do construction and demolition and, and ministering and just uh, be a blessing to those folks that are there. And uh, just, you know, I don't see, don't see Paul, our drummer, I don't know, he's got a knee that's just been replaced and he's in there playing the drums like he's 20 years old. I thought that was pretty incredible. He's probably limping across the cafe now <laughs> up here, but boy, he really, I just love when people push past obstacles, and I know he was in some pain and just said, I want to, our normal drummers aren't here, and we need you, buddy, and he said, okay, jumped in and just pushed through it, and I just love that because God honors that. He's put us on this earth to demonstrate faith, and sometimes it's grand and it's amazing, and it's something supernatural and miraculous, maybe a healing or whatever, and sometimes it's just our doggone refusal to give up that imp that impresses that the world takes notice of where everyone else would have given up we're still going forward and uh, I think that sometimes is a, it depends on the type of person but sometimes that's a greater indication of someone that they're going to ask hey how come you keep going when things seem to be not happening your way and we can just tell them about Jesus he's he's the God of the momentary miraculous he's the God of the journey he's the one that sustains us in the storm he's all of it and he knows what each one of us needs, and I just appreciate that, uh, you know, we've, we've, all of us here played a key part in getting this team over to Poland, and I think we have a few pictures that we want to just show of some of what they've started doing already. I mean, they hit the ground there the next day. They're already masks on, gloves on, uh, Tyvek suits on, and just tearing stuff up. Do we have some of those pictures ready, Justin? Just, so this is obviously a prayer group. Oh, that's, is that a Ukraine? Yeah. This is the airport. That's just the folks that we brought down to JFK Airport, uh, the three vehicles that went on um, Wednesday night. So that's, plus they joined with other folks from over there. Sorry, you probably can't see some of those folks, but that's just folks from our fellowship here, and I think two from another fellowship that are part of that picture. Awesome. We got some more? Oh, they're getting going already. It's like bricks are going in the wall. Wow. I guarantee some of these guys have never laid block before, but they're just doing it. In fact, I'm, look at that. It looks pretty good. Awesome. Teenagers, you know, I think not even 16, most of those guys. Jared and the team. <laughs> awesome. That looks like that floor is going in if I had to. Hey, there he is. That must be from this morning. I believe that's, yeah, that's the main part of the building. They're hoping to fit up to six families in it. Look at that. It's so beautiful architecture, but from up here, I think maybe I can see it better. There's definitely some love that's needed to uh, make that a spot where folks can live. Wonderful Jesus. Very, very awesome. We're all a part of that. I just want to, I'm going to read it. It's just beautiful. I just, 
so excited. You know, Jared was just speaking to us here last Sunday, and now they're over there just, just getting it done. And uh, the scripture I want to just start with today, and, and then hopefully it segues into something I feel led by the Spirit to share, is in Romans chapter 12, and it's just this reminding of, of the fact that we're connected, that there's something to be done, and not everybody can get on a plane and go. Um, it just would be, can you imagine everybody here just on a, on a plane, we'd be outside. I mean, imagine how clumsy that would be. We would get probably, you know, they, they would spend a lot of time just trying to manage us and figure out what to do, and then be happy when we left. But there's a specific group of folks that were prepared and ready and trained and have the skill set to go and do what they did. And I know there was folks here that covered the expense of plane tickets for some of those people. Some people just gave to Poland at large and to the Ukraine ministry that's, that Jared and Charlene are partnering with there. But we're all a part of this. And I just, sometimes it's hard. You see pictures and you feel like, oh, that's them doing it. And, but this is what the, the spiritual reality of who we are as the body of Christ is so important for us to grasp. And I'll just start in verse 3 of Romans 12. It says that, uh, Paul's writing this, and he says, For I say through the grace that's been given to me, to everyone who is among you, talking to the church, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. You've been dealt a measure of faith. Every single one of you says each one. Don't exclude yourself. That means you. If you're a believer, that means you. God has dealt to you a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. He's talking about our natural body, fingers, toes, ears, nose. We have different parts of each body, but all the members do, they do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, but individually we're members of one another. We're connected by spirit. Therefore, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Remember, we've each been dealt a measure of faith this is, the, this is the specific manifestation of that faith, this grace that's been given to us. It says, having then gifts that differ according to the grace that's given to us. Do you know that everyone's gift is different and it's supposed to be that way? I'm convinced the enemy gets us distracted so much in life because we're looking at what someone else's gift is and we're thinking, oh, I don't have that, so I must. We compare ourselves, and that's a very dangerous thing to do. Whatever gift you have, Discover that before the Lord and then bring it to the body, and it's going to be a great blessing. It's going to bless people. It's going to be part of what allows us to spread the gospel in this generation that we're in where it's very resistant to the gospel. But it's, we have to all bring our unique gift. Each one's supposed to be different. It's been given to us, but he says, let us use them. Wouldn't think you need to say that, but Paul's saying, you've been given a gift. You've been given a specific grace to do certain things. Then he says, so let's use them. You can have a gift and not use it. It doesn't benefit the way it's supposed to. And he says, so let's use them. Then he lists a few. This is not an exhaustive list, but it's, it's much of what we can look to to see what does it mean that we've been given a gift to do something beneficial to the body of believers. He says, let us use them. If you've been given the gift or the grace of prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. In other words, if you've been given that gift and that faith, then use that one. Don't try to use somebody else's. Use the one you were given. If it's been, you've been given a gift of ministry, of faith for ministry, let us use it in our ministry. Ministering just means serving. Some people, what this team is doing, they're going there, they're showing up and they're saying, okay, how can we help? Show us what to do. That's, that's what a servant does. That's, the, that's, a, that's a gift that they're bringing and they're, they're using it. Thank God, because that's what we're supposed to do. Let us use it in the ministering. If you're called to teach, you who teaches, then use that gift for teaching. If you are an exhorter, then use that in exhortation. If you give, 
Give with liberality. In other words, apply faith to your giving. Don't just give what you, you feel like you can. Recognize the gift of being generous is something God gave you. You know not everybody's generous. Do you know that? If you find a generous person, if I preach a message on generosity, the generous people will give above and beyond. They're already being generous, whereas someone who's not generous might just be like, what is he talking about? I don't get it. Like, why would you give other people the money that you worked for? Not everyone has the gift of generosity. They need to grow in it, but not everyone is just a generous person. You've met them in life. I mean, you have, most moms are very generous people. They've given their life to, to serve their families. You can recognize when people are just generous, they're, they're always ready to give. God's saying that's a gift that's part of his heart that he's put in the hearts of believers. You might think, well, I'm just, it's not a big deal. No, if it's a gift given to you, then give. But he says, don't just give according to what you're able. Give liberally. Give by faith. Give because it's a deposit of God that's in you. He says, if, you ha- if you're a leader, then lead with diligence. If it's been given to you to be someone that shows mercy, do it with cheerfulness. You can't be merciful to somebody that you know deserves something else than what you're giving them and be cheerful about it unless it's a supernatural reality that God has blessed your life with. And so these are just a few of the things that Paul lists that, listen, we're all part of one body. We all have different gifts. And I'm telling you, we've got to continue bringing these things together. I'm convinced that when the Lord adds daily the ones that are being saved into the church, it's important how quickly you find what it is that you're supposed to bring to the the equation, to the table, to the body. Because when you find that, then you're connected. Until then, you're looking for what can you get from the body. We call it church shopping. Most people shop for church. Did you know that? They go church shopping to see, well, this church meets this needs and that church meets these needs, but they don't actually pray about and think about, Lord, what church would you send me to join so that I can bring the gift that you've given me so that I can create a stronger body in this fellowship? Very few Americans think that way anymore because we're consumer in our mindset. We shop with coupons. We go on sales. We try to, how little can I pay to get the most out of this? this transaction. Church is not a transaction in that way. It's a relationship with the one who gave everything just to call you son and daughter. And it's so important we realize that the sooner you bring your gift into the mix, the sooner you, the the measure of faith and that measure of grace that God gave to you, the sooner you're going to find connectivity. You're going to feel like, wow, I'm connected here. What I've been given, I'm now pouring out within the body and then beyond as well. And so I just want to use that as, as an exhortation this morning And I want to kind of segue into this idea of faith because I've been talking the last few times. I know we've been going through Peter and we're continuing to do that. This idea of faith and that we are people of faith and that all we have to do is believe. I keep getting called back to this basic thing because I feel like that's what's under attack in this world right now. Is how can you believe in this God? And then they have their reasons why you shouldn't believe in God, period, at all, much less Jesus Christ, the one true God. They really struggle with that reality, and it's under attack, and it's being justified on, a, on, a, on all different sides. But the reality of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ, as believers in the creator God, the creator God that this world was created in the beginning God created, that has to be the, the focal point and the start and foundation of everything that we're going to believe. Because if we don't believe that there's a creator that we will give account to who made us and placed us here and called us according to his purposes to live the life that we've been given then anything, it's all up for grabs. It's all up for interpretation. It's all up for, well, what do you think we should do? And what do you think we should do? And it's leading to a disaster. It's leading to a mess. The planet's coming unraveled because we've lost that centrality of there's a creator. He created the heavens and the earth and he holds it all together by the word of his power. When that accountability is lost and it's just up for grabs, guess who's gonna grab it? The most powerful, the most influential, the ones with the most money, the ones with the biggest microphone and the biggest TV screens to shove their message down your throat. That's who's going to take over the planet and has already gained 
Way more ground there than they should have ever been allowed to. Why? Because gullibility of people to not say, wait a minute. We don't care if the masses, we don't care. This isn't a majority. Everyone take a vote and see what we should believe. This has been decided by the creator of how we ought to live and the rules by which we live and the one who's come to save us from our lostness outside of Christ. This has been decided. This has been established. The question we now have to come to and answer for every single person is what will you believe? Will you believe that Jesus is salvation, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him? Or will you believe what everyone else is saying, which is there's all kinds of ways to get there, and let's just have a good time while we're here. I get the appeal of it, and so will the majority of the planet, and that's why they will follow that, even though it's deception, even though it's a lie, and even though it will lead to their own bondage and deception, many for eternity. It's a tragic state of affairs. The question couldn't be more critical now than ever before. What do you believe? Who do you believe? Where is your salvation anchored? How do you know that you're going to heaven when you die? How do you know that Jesus was enough? How do you know that when he hung on the cross and said it was finished, that it was actually done? You can only do it through belief and do it by faith. Ask you a question. If you have to protect something valuable, what do you do do to protect it? I'm going to have to jump around because time... I just made a list. Do you you build a moat around it? Like in the old days, you know, they had a castle with everything precious and the royalty. So they build a moat around it. They put alligators and whatever they could in the moat. And it was a bridge that would come down, right? The only way you're getting in or out is if there was a way over the moat. High castle walls. If you go to India, you'll see that pretty much any backyard or any garden, whatever, is bordered by a masonry wall. And then they've got all kinds of broken glass all over the top of it so thieves don't cut it out like they don't piece of leather over it and climb over anyway. You know, there's ways around these things that be protecting what's precious. To razor wire, right? It's really a place that you treat bunkers, safes, uh, fireproof safe. Whatever you have, that's documents, cash, whatever that, that's, that's you know, e- easily damaged or lost, we do things to keep it, sucks it in, we protect it, we put impenetrable things around it. And the reality of what I've been, what's been stirring in my heart this week is what does God use to protect what's precious? What does God use to protect the eternal treasure of heaven? That Jesus said, all things that we need to live this life, for this life and to live a godly and a godly man, have already been given to us through Jesus Christ, who came and conquered death on our behalf, gives us life in exchange. These realities, they exist, but they are guarded, trampled on. It's precious to him. Faith. Faith. It's an impenetrable barrier. You cannot get through except by, except by faith. You cannot have salvation. You cannot be saved except how? By grace through? You see how tightly he has that locked up? No one comes. You understand this. The most precious commodities that have, that have developed or ever had, you can only touch them by faith. Miracles? What did Jesus tell those who needed a miracle beyond natural means? If you can believe, you can have it. They would have given anything to have what they needed for their their child or their love. In that moment of desperation, they're like, Jesus, please help. We'll do whatever. He's like, let it be done to you according to your... It's hard for a world that just wants everybody to have access to what's precious. But I'm telling you, it doesn't exist in the natural. We God guards it too. Salvation is not by accident. It is by grace through faith. 
Your justification, Rich touched on it this morning, preached my message. Your justification, being just as if you've never, it's by faith. Your righteousness, your right standing with heaven, with God, with the righteous judge who will measure your life at the end and say, come on, good and faithful servant, you're apart from me, I never knew you. That person, how do you know that you have right standing with him? You can only have it by faith. You have to believe it. I have to believe it. What does the enemy come to do? To sow doubt and unbelief. What did he do with Adam and Eve? Did God really say you shouldn't eat this tree or you tree? He sowed doubt into their hearts. What world's sowing into our hearts and our lives? Doubt. How do you know you can trust this, this Jesus, this God? If everything he's got all this power, then how come things aren't working out in a better way? How come people are, have pain and suffering and are living confused and living broken and being abused and neglected and all these wars and famines and earthquakes and tens of thousands of people being buried under rubble? How can all this stuff be happening if there's a good God? Bring seeds of doubt and unbelief. And if you're not strong in your faith, you will a path that leads completely away from the one who's got everything that's precious that you need locked up be all called faith. I wish there was another way. Jesus said, beware the ones that climb in through some other way. That's the robbers and the wolves. The shepherd is the door. And when they wants to come into the sheepfold, comes through the door. Jesus said, I'm the door. I'm the way. I'm the truth. And I'm the life. You just have to believe it. I feel like maybe we've complicated this through decades and centuries of Christianity and, and doxologies. But at the end of the day, the heart cry of the Father is, do you believe? Who do you say that I am? Will you enter into the relationship I've prepared for you, the place I've promised to those who would dare to simply believe? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him. He's simple, but that wall is the only way. And if you don't believe, if you have doubt and you have unbelief and you're not willing to go by faith and approach the Father, then you don't have access to him. Part of your life that you just feel like, I just can't seem to come before him, and there's this, then just start believing. Don't make it about anything else. Don't get your life together. Don't think, well, someday when I get it together, I can come to God. No, the only thing you need to come before the Lord is faith. What does he say? If you want to come before him, you have to believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's all you need. And yet if you don't have it, it can feel like it's miles away. What's that all about? God deals these things to us. Let's read a passage. It's one of my favorite passages, Ephesians chapter 2. We'll start in verse 4. I'm just going to read. We're going to read some scriptures today. I'm going to start because if I wait for every single one, we're going to be here past when you're going to be happy. It says in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. We were dead. He makes us alive. Then he has in parentheses, he says, by grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up together and made us to sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, now, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He's not some monster trying to just have all the goods and make sure, make, like, so nobody else can get there. He's made it real easy. You just have to believe. But you do have to believe. Saved through faith. That's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so we should walk in them. 
What's happening in Poland, what we're doing there is just us, what God's already prepared for us to do. We're not creating and calculating and drum something up. No, there's a need. He said, if you want to meet me, go into the prisons. Go to the people that don't have clothes. Go to the hungry. If you want to meet Jesus, then you go to where the need is, and there you meet Jesus. He said, when you've done all these things in Matthew 25, you've done to me. When you minister to the poor, when you minister to the prisoner, when you go places where nobody else wants to go and you, and, and you, you, you benevolence and you, you meet needs, he says that you're doing it to me. You meet. This is the reality of our faith. What does it mean? It looked like just a, a refugee family that just didn't have any place to stay. And Jesus said, that's me. He says, when you do these things, you're doing them to me. That's the final judgment of the sheep and the goats is the ones who met the real needs of people and the ones who said, oh, someone else will do it. I hope we can get our faith around this. Because by the natural eyes, it looks like we're just helping a family. But by God's eyes and the spirit realm, he's like, he feels a sense of personality to this. That we're meeting a need. These are his children too. Maybe they're lost still, but he's calling them in and he desires relationship. And here we show up hands and feet and meeting a real need. And he says, you're doing it to me. He doesn't say he did it unto me. He said, you did it to me. When you did these other realities and met these needs. But we have to do it by faith. Otherwise, we just see what our natural eyes see. We can say, well, I don't know if it was really enough. There was hundreds of thousands, so what did the two dozen that we helped? You can easily get into doubt and unbelief about the significance of what God's given you to do if you let this natural mind get in the way. But if you just do it by faith and by obedience, you suddenly realize he's refreshing someplace inside you called the place of faith that he put there in the first place. We've been saved by grace through faith, and he said, that's not even of yourselves. He gave it to you. I don't know how much clearer it can get that this reality of the gospel has already been provided. It's already been done. The way is secured. There's only one way, and all you have to do is believe it. I don't know why it feels like it takes so much work to get that message to get through our natural gray matter because we want to start measuring, well, I'm better than this person, or I'm not as bad as that person, or they're worse than I am. We, we, we start looking around for what it, none of those things produce righteousness before God, only Jesus Christ on the cross to providing an exchange for your sinfulness and your sin nature accomplishes the righteousness that we're talking about. Jesus is alive. I don't know if we keep... Listen, if Jesus was not alive, all we could do is learn about him. Let me just say this. Maybe it's a bunny trail. I don't know. If Jesus is just a historical figure who's now dead, all we can possibly ever do is just learn about Jesus. And I'm all for learning about Jesus. Let's learn about Jesus. Let's learn about the historians that wrote about Jesus that had nothing to do with faith, that weren't even believers, that helped to prove that he was a historical figure that walked this earth. I love the history of Jesus. I love the way our calendar is divided from the time that Jesus came to earth and left earth. That's a pretty important argument. I can't believe they haven't changed that by now. Because for me, I'm like, how dumb do you have to be? The calendar is split between what happened before Jesus and what happened after Jesus. And we're still debating, was he really even, did he come in the world? Come on. This is in our face obvious. This is stuff that should be undebatable. And yet, those seeds of doubt, those little thoughts of unbelief, they grow and they snowball into something that can block you from simple faith in Christ. Simple faith, childlike faith. He says, you become like a child, you'll get it. If you get past that stage, you're probably going to miss the kingdom. Because it's simple. It's just, do you believe it or not? When I say stuff, my kids believe me. He's saying, I'm your heavenly father. Just believe me. I'm promising you some things. If you don't believe me, you're not going to experience the promise. How do you experience promises? By faith. 
Not in a moment, but for a lifetime. Walking by faith, walking in the Spirit, not by the flesh. This is how we walk into promises over a period of time, over the journey called faith. And the enemy knows that, and he wants to sideline us from that. He wants to get us off that path because he knows then we'll just get into some kind of unbelief and doubt, and we'll start questioning the very promise that God made to us. Jesus is alive. Therefore, we don't have to just learn about him. We can meet him. If he's not alive, we can only learn about him. If he's alive, we can meet him. Think about that for a minute. I don't know. There's many famous celebrities that have passed away recently. All you can do now is learn about them. There is zero hope that you can go and meet them. Why? They're dead. You can go by their tombstone. You can probably find out. It's probably top secret, but you can find out where they're buried. You can go and maybe, you know, Robin Williams, I don't know. He was one of my favorites. I can never meet that man. I can only learn about him. I can only talk to people that knew him. Jesus is not that. He is alive. He was resurrected from the dead. He's now seated at the place of the honor in heaven, but he's alive. Have you seen the, they say it could be in the hundreds of millions soon of Muslims that are just flocking to faith in Christ because they're, they're having visions and dreams and they're seeing Jesus come to them and explain to them that he's the one, he's the way. You talk about a people group, a religious group that's so committed to finding and seeking and this spiritual commitment of the Muslim faith is just incredible. The sound goes off, the speakers turn on, and they drop on the ground no matter where you are, and you kneel, and you pray three times a day. I mean, this is, these are people that are committed, and Jesus is honoring that. I'm convinced of it. And he's showing them, guys, your commitment is just misdirected. It's just a little over here, but look, it's me. I'm not here to take your culture away. I'm not here to rob you of everything that you believe that was true, because they believe in the Bible. They have confidence in certain things but they miss certain things that are quite critical to finding out that Jesus is the way the truth and the life and he's just doing he's just revealing himself and you see these pictures where whole beaches are just full up of rows and rows and rows of white robed people just going in being baptized into Christian faith it's just as simple as belief Whatever's making it more complicated for your life, just stop letting it be complicated become as a child and say Lord I believe help what I don't believe but I believe you Jesus He will meet you in that moment. He's alive and he desires to meet you. Holy Spirit will come and you'll sense his presence. You'll feel the warmth. You'll feel the forgiveness. Repentance has to come into play. I don't know of a single person that Jesus showed up to or his presence was real and all of a sudden repentance just came. A preacher didn't have to tell them, well, if you're doing this and you're doing that, you're doing that, you need to repent. Those are fine messages. I'm not knocking the folks that do that because they have benefit. But what I'm saying is when Jesus shows up and you meet him and he meets you, repentance just flows all of a sudden in the face of a holy God you realize how short you've come (laughs) and you don't have to be prompted it just comes out you're like Lord thank you for your grace that saves me thank you for the forgiveness of sins that I know I didn't deserve he's alive he's real 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 really real whatever the actuality I don't know how many times you're supposed to say that my wife did it this morning (laughs) really 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 real this is it, though. There's nothing grander than the, than the, the, the revelation, the, the thing drops, and suddenly you realize, oh, God created it. I'm his intention. Yeah. Yeah. Humanity was his intention. Why do you think they had to rob that from our children in school? The first thing they teach them is that you're just 
maybe intended, maybe an accident, maybe whatever. And even if your parents did want you, you they only came because of some cosmic accident that happened and, you know, oozed to you from way of the zoo is kind of how, you know, you came to be. You call it the theory of evolution, I call it that what it is. Goo to you by way of the zoo. It's a lie. God had an intention in his heart. The creator God said, I'm going to make man. I'm not going to make him just like the other animals that I've made. I'm going to make him in my image, in my likeness. How do you get there? By believing it. Some people need more science. They need more study. They need more research to come to the point of realizing, okay, I can believe that. Even with natural realities and fossil records, I can come to a place of believing that that's a true statement. But you don't have to. You could just believe it by faith and experience a life of victorious Christian living in a spiritual reality that only he can give to you because he's the one that knows what he put inside of you and he knows how to call it out of you. Or you can just spend your life questioning, spend your life wondering, spend your life in confusion, trying different ways. Or you can just believe I've tried it both ways. Believing is much, 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 much better. It's a blessed walk when you believe. He illuminates that pathway. And he provides the faith that it takes to stay on it. I want to read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1.18. I'm just going to start right in. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's been written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise and where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom didn't know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message of the gospel preached to save those who believe. To save who? For the Jews request a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but preach, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, it's foolishness. I'm telling you, this faith barrier around what's precious to God is real. And he's, ha- he, he's not afraid to set some things in the way that this message is so simple. It's going to cause those who are wise according to this world to think that it's just foolishness, and who could bother to believe that? And to those who are religious, the Jews that he's talking to, the ones that were religious, the leaders that knew all the Bible, that knew everything about when Messiah would come and were still missing it, they needed a sign. They needed something supernatural. And he said to them, the message of the gospel doesn't provide enough of that. And so for them, it's just a stumbling block too. Faith will trip everybody up except those. Listen, I'll read it. Let the word speak for itself. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I didn't make it this simple. I don't know why I might have tried to protect those kinds of precious heavenly treasures that cannot be defiled because if someone were to touch them in a defiled state, they would be instantly vaporized because holiness and sinfulness cannot be in the same space. We had to be made righteous first before we could enter into this space that he's been protecting for us, where he is where the creator is, where the one who has plans for not just now but into the future, the new heaven and the new earth and everything else that it means. I don't know. But I know if he can create this and make it this beautiful under the corruption of sin that it currently lives under, how much more is the place going to be where there's no longer sin and corruption? I can't even imagine it. Except by faith, I can believe it. 
He's got stumbling blocks. He's got things that will mess with people's minds. They'll say, that's just foolishness. It's intentional because he's protecting something for those who are called who those, and those who will believe. You don't want to surround your life with people that don't believe in you. You imagine if every person around you was just people that just doubted you and said, I don't know, you're going to fail, I don't think that's going to work. You'd be miserable. Sadly, many of you surrounded your lives with people like that. Maybe not literally, but on social media you have. And you wonder why you're not getting anywhere. Cut that stuff off. Stop it. Listen to what God says about you. Get into the word about what he says you're capable of. Stop measuring yourself by people's opinions. They're useless. They change every day. Every action you do, every post that you make, they're just deciding whether you're on which side of their vote for that particular thing. Stop. You're more valuable than that. Your time is more valuable than that. You're precious. The grace that was given to you, the measure of faith that God placed in you, he needs it brought in and out into the open so that the world can be nourished by it and blessed by it. We just have to believe. That's all he's asking us for. Mary said, if you believe, if you have faith, mustard seed, little guy, you could tell mountains where to go. It's just, do we believe it or not? I don't believe a fraction of what I'm supposed to believe. I know that. And I'm praying, Lord, help me with my unbelief because I know what you're expecting from my life and the lives of all of us as a congregation. He wants us to not just touch parts of the world here. He wants to light this world on fire with his love and with his glory. It's happening throughout. There's little pockets. It's sparking up because it's not just us. It's all who believe. It's his bride that he's coming back for. And it's, it's time. You feel the time is winding up. The pressure's coming. And it's like he's ready to reveal who he really is inside the hearts of those who believe. But you just have to have Faith. Righteousness through faith. You live a life that's pleasing to God. You have to do it by faith. Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. If you want to please God with your life, you can only do it by faith. There's no subset way to, there's no like, well, if you can't do it that way, then try this way. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Because he knows the faith that he put in you, and he knows he's not asking for anything that he didn't already give to you or me. He knows that it's there, and he's saying, if you live by that, you're going to please me. But if you don't, it's impossible. How do we fight and win this good fight of faith that Paul writes to Timothy about? I'll read it. It says in 1 Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called, and you've confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He says you have to hold fast. Lay hold of the eternal life. It's the fight of faith. That means you have to fight to keep the faith sometimes. Listen to the next thing that he, he tells Timothy in, in the last letter that he writes to him. He says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Why does he boast about that? One of the last things that he writes to another human being, because faith was trying to be taken from him all throughout. His shipwrecks, his stonings, his punishments, his false imprisonments. Faith was what the enemy was after. And he recognized it, and he says, I held on to the faith. At the end of this all, I still have my faith. It didn't look like what the world said it should look like to follow Jesus, but I have the faith, and I know that his promises are still true. This is the understanding we've got to come to. But my question is this, and I'll close with this thought. How do you guard faith when we know that we're going to be in a fight? If you want to exercise the faith that's been given to you, there's going to be resistance. It's going to require a fight. How do you maintain faith in a fight? How did Paul do it? How did Jesus do it? Hebrews 12, 2 makes it pretty plain. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand 
of the throne of God. Joy sat before him. As I began to study the message, when my mind was going to be more about the correlation between joy and faith, but we're just getting started on this, this, this notion, and we're not going to go through the end of it, but this is the point I want to leave you with. You maintain faith through joy. You maintain joy sometimes by faith. When stuff doesn't feel right, when it doesn't look right, you can still have joy by faith. Why? Because you look at the promises that he gave to your life. If you have to go all the way to eternal life and, and the blessing of heaven, then go that far down the road and say, okay, from here, I see no pain, I see no suffering. It's a beautiful place. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to look to that place and I'm going to remember that whatever I'm going through, I can still have joy. And you do that by faith because if that promise isn't true, then you're just hoping on, wishing on the stars. Hope and, and joy and faith and forward. The horizon's a little bit brighter. Okay, you know, it's not really light yet, but I can see that that horizon's a little brighter than that one. So I know something's coming. I know the sun's coming. I know lights. I know relief is coming. And so that just begins to stir something in you that I can get through this darkness because I can see that it's not here yet, but I know that it's coming. And we just know that in the natural, as the sky gradually gets dimmer, we know at some point the sun's coming up and it's going to be light out. And if that's the only place we can find joy and excitement about what's coming, then we can look that far down. But in the moment, your faith is preserved by joy. Jesus endured the cross, it says, because there was a joy that was set before him. And many of us, you know, we dig into what was the joy? Was it us? Was it please the Father? My point today is not any of that. It's just this. You've got to have something on the horizon that your heart is, is focused, a promise, a, a, a brightness that's just starting. Maybe it's still dark on both horizons and you can't tell which part of the night you're in. I don't know where you're at. But I can promise you this. The sun's coming up. The day star is going to dawn in your heart. The, the morning star is going to rise. The sunrise is coming. Whether it's when we leave this earth and we go there, but it's coming and it's going to happen for different people in different ways. But that can trigger something in you that brings joy. And as soon as that joy, what are you joyful about? Something promised, something future. What does that require? Faith. Suddenly faith is back alive in you. The world might not see the, why you should have it because it looks dark from what they can see. But you still see a horizon because there's a promise that he's come to give you everlasting life. If you'll just believe in him. I wrote this, what the promised future holds for me is so glorious that it overwhelms any fear or doubt that current conditions may be impressing upon me. And it allows me to have joy by faith in his promise, not the sum of my current emotions. That's the gist of what I'm trying to say. Hebrews 10.23 says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Then he says, why? He says, because he who promised is faithful. God's faithfulness isn't changing because we believe or not. Our experience of his faithfulness will be affected, though. I don't know. I think it's interesting that we have this term called killjoys. Killjoys. Why? Have you heard that term? Like, oh, they're just such a killjoy. Because joy can be killed. Joy's alive or it's not. Hope is alive. Or it's not. Peter talks about a living hope. We're not going to read through that entire passage in, in 1 Peter chapter 1. But we've been begotten again to a living hope. 
Our joy is alive. It goes through that passage. It talks about the joy that we have is inexpressible and it's full of glory. Why? Because we haven't received the end of it. We're not, we're not seated, seated with Jesus at that table yet. But by faith, we know that moment's coming. By faith, through the Spirit indwelling us, we can sense the promise is true and that that moment is coming. And so we live a life that has brightness at the end of it, even if all the world sees is dimness. And this is part of our mark. This is part of our identity. This is part of what we have to demonstrate for this world. And I don't know about you, but every time I talk about joy, every time I talk about just about faith, man, the, the week just hits and it just tries to squish everything. So I'm like, all right, I know I'm on the right track. Because i got to do that mirror trick sometimes, too, in the morning. We just you know, like put a smile on your face. You just look at yourself in the mirror with a nice plastic smile until you just can't help but have a real one. His promises, they're not just ideological carrots hanging out in front of us that'll try to help us just, they are the very essence of what Peter reveals, opens us up to partake of the divine nature of God himself. That it's through the great and precious promises that he's given to us that we begin to think God-like. We begin to have a character and a nature that is God-like. That we don't look at the world through the same lens of what can I get from it? What can they do for me? But we begin to look at lost people and think, what do they need from my life? What is it that's missing in them because the gift of grace and the gift of faith given me hasn't been given to them yet? What will change in them when I just have a moment to tell them how good Jesus really is? That he's not just a historical figure, but that he's still alive and he still has power and he still has a Holy Spirit that will resurrect them from death to life. That's a very different way of living life than just looking out every person you bump into thinking, what, what can I get from that person? And yet that's the culture that has inundated this planet that we're on right now. What can I get? How little will it cost me? And it's bringing a coldness to the relationships of this world that we as Christians cannot have. Jesus makes it pretty clear. You say, well, what does it look like when you love somebody the way God would love them? Well, I will close with this passage. John 15, 9 makes it pretty clear. Jesus is talking to his disciples. It's getting close to the time for him to be sacrificed on the cross and to fulfill the great atonement that was needed for our sins and for their sins. And he says this, and he says this in verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 9 of the Gospel of John. He says, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. And that your joy may be full. When your joy is in full strength, your faith is in full strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. If we're going to be a people of faith that are going to stand and do things and continue to believe when the world says we shouldn't, we're going to have to have a joy, as Peter says, that's inexpressible and full of glory. We're going to have the joy that Jesus talked about, that his joy would remain in them. This was as he was preparing to go to the cross. I don't think he was happy. If you read the story of Gethsemane, Jesus wasn't happy. 
He was in misery and agony and pain, and he was asking his disciples to just stay close to me because the burden and the weight is so tremendous. It was hard for him as a human in flesh and blood to endure it, and he just wanted some company. He wanted some camaraderie, just humans to be close to him. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't happy, but there was a joy that was found in his heart that brought him through that process, the joy that was set before him, it says, and this is what he's talking about, the joy that his joy that he had, that it would also be found in us. And that it would be full. The presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. If you need a boost of joy, just find a way to get into his presence. Go sit on a cliff. Sit on the edge. Don't jump off. But go to the edge. And and just meet Jesus, but not that way. Um, Look at the creation. Look at what he's done. Imagine for a moment, maybe you've been programmed into the way of thinking this whole thing just sort of evolved through a series of cataclysmic random molecular collisions and subatomic phenomenon and things that it's all by chance and whatever. If that's what you were programmed in, just ask the Lord. Say, just show me that this is you. Show me that you did this. Man, I'll just show you. Something, a bird will sing. Something will happen. You'll just have a sense inside that, man, all that lie garbage I believed for so long Here you are, the creator, the one who made this world and then made me with your own intention. That my joy will remain in you and your joy will be full. This is the sticky bit. This is my commandment. You want to have joy? Then he just said, if you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, this joy is going to stay full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's why Poland that's why you be nice to the person that's rude to you in the checkout line or the parking lot or wherever, or your family member or your coworker. That's why you do it, because Jesus did it. And when he was reviled, he didn't revile in kind. When he was rebuked, he didn't even open his mouth to defend himself. He was a sheep to the slaughter. He knew something they didn't know. There was a joy within him that they couldn't touch because they didn't give it to him, and so therefore they couldn't take it away. That's who we are too. Jesus said that my joy will be in you, and if you do what I do, the way I obeyed my Father, you obey my commandment. Love one another. How? As I have loved you. That's a sacrificial kind of love. You won't be able to do that in the natural. If you don't have Holy Spirit living in you, you will not love that way. It's impossible. So if you get frustrated, just ask Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm ready to receive you as my strength, as the one who's redeeming me from this life of flesh. And he'll, he'll love people through you. He's been doing it for thousands of years. Love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. He tells them that, and then he goes ahead and does it. He doesn't just tell them to do something that he wasn't going to do himself. When you walk with Jesus, you realize you might walk through some sticky patches, some things that seem like you're not going to get through them, and then you realize he's not asking you to do anything that he wasn't willing to do. And that he's not willing to walk through with you. Let's just stand together. I don't know what anyone's going through in this room. I just know that in this world, we're promised tribulation. We're promised hardship. And I know that there's definitely people listening online or here in this room. You're dealing with stuff that just feels like, how do you find joy in the middle of this? And I'm here this morning to tell you, you do it the same way you find salvation. Through faith. That by faith, your joy can be full. Why? Because Jesus said that if you'll just simply love with the love that he's put in you, the grace that he's given to you, that your joy will be full too. 
It's interesting because I remember it had never happened. I remember some of the first times I went outside of my comfort zone being an introvert and just kind of in crowds of people. I'm not comfortable. I'm just in and I'm out. And just going beyond and putting a strong voice on and just saying, can I help you with that? Can I help you put that in your car? Just need help getting that here or there because I'm in construction and Lowe's and Home Depot all the time. And you'd be amazed how many people actually looking for help, but they're just not going to ask for it because they're the same way that we are. They're just trying to do it on their own. They're trying to just not be noticed and not make a mistake. But if you volunteer with a, with a heart that just wants to show love and kindness and just go outside of where you're comfortable and just help them, maybe it's sowing a seed. Maybe it's being generous. Maybe it's putting money in someone's hand. Maybe it's whatever God shows you. But when you do that, when you walk back to your car, it could have been something so simple as just saying hello to someone pumping gas next to you when you were just ready to think, I'll just be quiet, they'll be quiet. Comment on a bumper sticker. Comment on a, anything. Just open a conversation. The next thing you realize, when you go outside of where you're comfortable and God uses you to just encourage somebody, the joy that you feel is overwhelming. You can't even describe it. You're trying to tell someone this great, amazing story, and they're like, yeah, well, what did you really do? You just told somebody hello, and you were nice to them, and you asked them if they're okay, and can you help? And you somehow walk away feeling, what is that? It's not a big deal, but to you it's a big deal because the joy is coming full in you that Jesus said, love one another as I've loved you. He came looking for us, folks. He didn't wait for us to find him. It says that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came and did for us what we couldn't do when we weren't even looking for him. We've got to live that way. That's the kind of love he loved us with. And I think, I'm, I'm just feeling like that's a major barrier that's keeping us enclosed in buildings and not just infecting this society with the love of Jesus Christ is that we're still a little bit reserved. We're not sure are they going to receive it or not. It's, those days, are we've got to just go for it. We've got to just put aside our, maybe it takes another five minutes, but if everybody does that, whole regions can be changed. Whole jobs, whole workplaces can be, have a different tone, a different attitude because they just know someone's going to look to try to help. Not to see what you can get, but to see what you can give. It's the opposite of the way this world thinks. I just feel like God's made it so simple for us now. But are we willing? Are we willing to believe that he's going to go into those places with us? Father, I pray this morning. I just feel so stirred in my spirit that if we'll show the kindness, the kind of kindness you showed to us, to this world, that we would love them the way you loved us. Being willing to sacrifice maybe minutes or hours of our day for them. Lord, that I know the joy that we've been maybe missing. It's available to us, but I know that it will come through our obedience. I know that it will be restored. I know that it'll come back in a full strength, Jesus, that our faith will grow, that our strength will return, that we will be seen as people of strength and not people that are just weak. We'll be seen as the source, the resource for the problems of this world, Lord, not just those who are equally confused about which way to look. Lord, we just pray that you would give us a courage and a boldness, Lord, as we ended worship, just with this revelation that we have to be bold, that death no longer has a has ability to cause fear in our heart, that people have no longer any ability to cause fear in our heart. Lord, you said even when people reviled us and were mean to us and nasty, said, dance for, leap for joy. You said the leap for joy. That's how we respond when we're rejected, Jesus. Because that joy is just overflowing in us when we do what we're told to do. Help us to believe it could be that simple, Lord. Help us to make a difference by your spirit at work through us. That supernatural power and love would flow through our fingertips to this dying world around us. Lord, even within the family of believers, that there could be those that just need a touch from you, God. Lord, we desire your ministry by the Spirit to strengthen us, to encourage us, and to send us out. 
Lord, we thank you for continuing to minister to the Poland team and to continue to just protect them, keep them safe, provide for their needs, Lord, provide for their, just give them opportunities, Lord, to grow in their faith and to see that people's lives would be changed. God, that it would be something that's starting, but that it would just spread like a fire spreads. That we would be there just as King's Fire people, but there would be fires started in people's hearts through the way that we're just serving and loving them with the love that you've given to us. God, we don't take credit for this. We're just excited to be included in these good works you've prepared for us. Lord, we just bless you for it. We thank you for this day. We thank you that you're with us to protect us, Lord. You're with us to use us and to see people's lives change through our lives laid down. God, we love you and we thank you. We bless your name and all God's people said, amen. If you could use prayer for anything at all this morning, just come to the front right away. Our ministry team is here to minister and pray with you, agree with you. Greet somebody, find someone you don't recognize and just say hello. God bless you.